Ronnie, thank you for joining me again. We are here working on what we would call more or less a seasonal update. And this time of year tends to be a lot of conversations back and forth with our clients, CPAs, estate planning attorneys, tax attorneys. And Connie had the great idea, why don't we do a podcast and just share the topics that we're talking about with, with a broader audience to let people know about things they might want to think about during tax season. Uh, and then also, I would say even a step beyond that, what comes out of it is how do our families just get and stay more organized so that this process becomes easier next year? Yeah, that's right, Kevin. And at this point, we probably have to say that you need to consult your CPA for any specific tax advice or information. But these are just parts of conversations that we have with our clients and most certainly this time of year. Yeah, tax is one of the areas of wealth management that is pretty much woven into everything we do. And whether it go to how much do we put into our retirement plans, what kind of charitable work do we do with our families, obviously tax touches everything. So I think we'll start with that today uh, and really just Connie, let's start running through the top things that we're having discussions on right now in regards to tax with our families. Well, there's some things that families can do even now after year end because there are windows on certain things that can still apply to 2022, such as maxing out your contributions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maxing out contributions. I think a big one that's often overlooked is the uh, the health savings plans, the high deductible health savings plans. Those are accounts that a lot of our families will stuff for lack of a better word is they will put the amount needed into those plans each and every year and then pay for their expenses out of pocket knowing that wealth can compound over time and knowing that when you get old there's a pretty good chance you're going to be using that pool of money for health care take advantage of the compounding effect and save that money in the health savings account for later it just makes sense yeah very very much so so i think a lot of that is you know maxing out those contributions But you can also max out contributions to your 401k plans, education 529s. And 529s aren't necessarily as yearly defined uh, on what you can give unless it's the limit per year because there's a nice little feature of 529s that if you have the ability to fund up to five years, you can fund up to five years at one time using those annual gift exclusions. Now, you can't fund the success of five years after that. But so there's some really neat windows that allow those plans to be funded properly. I think the second piece to a lot of the conversations we're having right now is estate planning that is woven in just about everything we do with our families. And those exemptions are still at all time highs. I mean, right now we're seeing in, you know, heading into 2023, we're seeing almost $13 million of exemption. And that's per per person, person. not per couple. Per person. And so that's a, a significant amount of wealth that with proper planning and proper liquidity, can be transferred outside of the estate and compound outside of the estate and therefore pass to the heirs outside of the 40% estate tax. Mm -hmm. I think the other piece to that too that is now indexed is our annual gift exclusions. In 2023, those are hitting $17,000 a year. And that is you can give $17,000 to anyone for any reason before it has to be subject to gift tax, which is unified with the estate tax. And that's 17000 per recipient per person. So again, if you're a married couple, you can double that. Correct. And I think a quick two caveats there are if you are making payments for anyone directly for education or health care, it does not 
hurt or, or qualify against that 17,000. Right. So if Not someone so had tight. a $100,000 emergency health care bill and you had the means to help someone and pay that, it wouldn't be a gift if it's paid directly to the health care provider or directly to the educational provider. Yeah, that's a nice exclusion and an important one when needed. We also talked about things like tax-savvy Roth conversions. Yeah, then w- when you're talking about giving, especially charitable giving, you and I have talked about this on previous podcasts, is that when you make a charitable gift, you receive a tax credit for that, a charitable tax credit. And what a lot of families will do is they will do a Roth conversion in a year, like 2022, when securities may have been down a little bit, so the tax bill would be lower, and then they would make a donation to their donor-advised fund that would create an offsetting tax credit for the liability it was created out of the IRA conversion. So a few neat little things there, you know, talk to, you know, talk to us, talk to your tax attorney on that, because those are very precise calculations you have to get right, or otherwise you can miss them and end up with a tax bill that you didn't intend to have. Right. Well, there are a lot of special things like that. For example, if you're of age where you're taking required minimum distributions out of your retirement accounts, you can gift up to $100,000 of those required minimum distributions to charities, not to a donor advised fund, but directly to charities and do that tax-free. Yeah, correct. The the QC or Qualified Charitable Distribution from your IRA is a wonderful tool. I think it's often overlooked with a number of families because they're viewing their IRA as the nest egg when in fact it could be more beneficial to donate the nest egg assets and live off the taxable assets. Again, just a calculation that you need to run each year. I also think going back to where, you know, as we're talking about IRAs and Roth IRAs, another reason that conversion to the Roth IRA is beneficial is the Roth IRA is a much better asset to pass to your heirs. So it, it has a better transfer mechanism. It's not subject to what's called income in respect of decedent taxes that move through to the next generation. So in other words, whoever inherits it, the taxes have been paid. They're not going to have to then turn around and pay income taxes out of it. And you don't know what tax bracket the person is in who is inheriting that. And if they're in a relatively high tax bracket and it came from a lower tax bracket parent, then that wasn't necessarily a, an efficient use of inheritance. I would also say we did most of this last year, but tax loss harvesting in the portfolio structures is extremely important. For those who aren't familiar with tax loss harvesting as a strategy, it is the process of finding a position, let's say you own the S&P 500, and that position last year was down 20%, and then you would sell that S&P 500 position and buy a similar all-market position, maybe the S&P 1500 or a, a different mutual fund, and you would capture the loss, but and you would maintain your exposure in the S&P 500 during that process while capturing that tax loss. The benefit of those tax losses is unlike the charitable deductions that you get from charitable contributions, which, which will expire five years after the year that you created them, the losses are, they stay with you and they can be used moving forward to offset future gains in the portfolio, whether that be from a rebalancing standpoint, or you have to make a distribution from the portfolio for living expenses or unexpected expenses or planned expenses, they offset those gains in the portfolio later on. 
You know, Kevin, I think that's a good time to step back and really talk about our own investment strategies at Cena Era Capital, because with respect to taxes, we are very sensitive to taxes. We create very tax-efficient portfolios, and it might be a good time for you to just talk about that. Yeah, I think when establishing the portfolio structure here, we were very cognizant of what our manager selection looked like and what tools we were using to implement the portfolio strategies. Our main portfolio strategy is an ETF or an exchange traded fund, which is an extremely tax efficient vehicle if it's held in a passive structure. What happens in a lot of other mutual funds is they could potentially have a year where the market went down, but within the fund, there were some gains that were created or there were some sales that took place within the fund that got passed out And people who are down in their portfolios could get a tax bill at the end of the year. In constructing, especially our all-weather core portfolio, was very intentionally designed to have the least tax drag possible while still achieving its goal of diversifying the risks of the portfolio. And, you know, maybe a broad claim to make here, but when we run them and we look at the tax efficiency side by side with what someone would consider the most efficient, which is, you know, the Vanguard 60-40 passive portfolios, we have roughly from year to year the same tax efficiency in the portfolio. So whenever we are harvesting losses, we are very intentionally doing so because we know there's a gain to offset. We're not doing it just in case we get a random distribution out of a mutual fund at the end of the day. And I think second to that, maybe an additional piece above and beyond, is many of our families own private investments. And a lot of those are income driven. And a lot of those private investments spend out ordinary income. And so using those tax loss efficiencies in the portfolio, knowing and controlling the ongoing tax cost by the structure and then doing the harvesting, we can use those to offset the gains there as well. Speaking of private investments, Connie, you and I were talking about this before the podcast is we spend a lot of time with our families on the liquidity. So understanding what their cash positions are, understanding what their commitments are to their private equity holdings and ensuring that the liquidity is there again, in a tax efficient manner when they need to make those capital calls or when they have a cash need for the family. Right. It's not really obvious to many people who might think about it, but for many of our ultra high net worth clients, illiquidity is an issue because so much of their assets are tied up in real estate and raw land, private businesses, private equity, and so forth. And so having a really good cash management system that keeps track of things like capital calls and other major commitments on the horizon is really critical. And there are tools that can be employed in addition to just having a good cash management system. But uh, one of those that we bring to our clients a lot is the securities back line of credit. Mm-hmm. Great way to, to manage the liquidity needs and smooth out the cash flows without having to sell assets or otherwise disturb your investment portfolio. And Connie, for those who aren't familiar on the podcast with a securities-backed line of credit, can you give them just a quick overview of that? Sure. A securities-backed line of credit is essentially a line of credit with a bank, but it is backed by a portfolio of securities in in an investment account that is pledged to the lender. The lender looks to the value of the underlying securities, typically around 60% of the value. It, It varies based on the types of assets, but 
that amount would be available for line of credit usage. Uh, interest rates are very competitive on S blocks. There are only a few banks that do this, and we have relationships with some of them. But one of the other interesting things about an S block, securities backed line of credit is is called an S block, um, is that they are not reported in credit reports and so forth because they are not like unsecured debt. They are strictly tied to the investment portfolio that is pledged to support the line. Yeah, when you have a bank that really understands that structure, you can actually more efficiently and quickly access money by putting a securities back line of credit in place as opposed to the typical process of going to a bank going to the credit committee, going through underwriting and things of that nature. So a lot of our families will often, I wouldn't say a lot, but a few of them during tax time, we'll use them during tax time and we have them in place. So they quickly make a tax payment and then we can work to figure out the best way to extract the funds from the portfolio structure. Or there may be a liquidity event that is coming later in the year and they just want to go ahead and handle that and not sell securities be forced to sell securities especially in a down market when they don't want to in order to make a tax bill that's critical you don't want to disturb your investments in a down market well and so having the securities back line of credit in place ahead of time even if you're not using it is a wise strategy and we've had clients that um, have had like you say sizable property tax bills or income tax bills come up and rather than having to disturb their investment portfolio can use the S block for that but it might also be fun things you know at a daughter's wedding or a trip around the world down payment on a house uh, the S block can come in handy for a lot of uses yeah for sure and i think switching gears just a bit as we're talking regarding all of the tax strategies is just the raw organization of families staying organized, not just amongst themselves, but also with their CPAs and their state planning attorneys, other family members, you know, doctors and everything of that nature. And Connie is actually spearheads the effort for us at, at the firm managing our secure document vault storage for our clients. And so uh, Connie, tell us a little bit about how that works. Well, of course, everybody's different. It ranges in terms of uh, the amount of organization or the type of organization, but it always seems to rear its ugly head at tax time because Mm -hmm. that's when you're going through the documents and the files and the shoeboxes and the online records and everything else trying to pull together schedules for your CPA. So we love to work with our clients to do a couple of things in that area. First of all, to just document eVault all of the financial and personal documents that are associated with running a household, Um, investment accounts, insurance policies, previous tax returns, copies of pension agreements or profit sharing agreements, stock options, Um, the health savings accounts we were talking about. All of these documents, if they're they're organized and e-vaulted ahead of time, can really make a difference. Um, And then we can take it a step further with some clients that really don't enjoy dealing with the flow of everyday life. We can manage mail. We can make sure things get converted to paperless. We can have things sent, you know, if we employ the use of a financial accounting system, which we do through partner firms, uh, we can have copies of invoices sent directly to those, to that entity for bill pay and tax prep and all sorts of other services. 
maybe a slight personal story here on my side is, uh, is for my parents recently had spent 30 years in a home and dad's retiring and they're, they're downsizing. And as they're going through the closing process, there was a copy of the trust document that was needed by the title company. And I was able to just hop right in there and grab it and send it over. It was a 15 second exercise. And because we had done that work ahead of time and set them up in the document e-vault, things were very easy. We weren't scrambling through filing drawers in a house that's half packed looking for a trust document. It was scanned in, it was done, it was in place, and the problem was solved very quickly and very frictionlessly. Yeah. And we're, we are very sensitive to um, cybersecurity risk. And one of the advantages to our document eVault system is that we can also transmit and receive, upload and download documents securely in and out of that vault and share it with other, even third parties. And that's, that's just so important these days when emails get hacked so easily. You know, I would say the last piece to... Seasonal so think, considerations? Yeah, I would say the last piece to the seasonal considerations is it's a great time earlier in the year to think about your beneficiary designations. This is something that is very much overlooked And I think most people don't realize how many different places they could potentially have a beneficiary designation and ensuring that those match what the estate planning attorney has crafted. And so my best advice is call your estate planning attorney, ask them per our state plan, what is my best structure for primary contingent beneficiaries? And they will tell it to you. And if you look in your estate docs, sometimes a lot of them will list it in there. They'll have a form that tells you what the best way to, to go is. So ensuring two things that, A, your wishes are carried out because beneficiary designations skip the probate process. It's a straight transfer. And so if you know there's someone who's remarried, there could be an ex-wife on an old 401k plan. Got to look out for that one. With all of those, it's really important to have them in place and structured properly so that A, the estate plan can be executed properly, and B, that the person who passed away, their wishes were actually carried out. And those, those are different for different documents. For example, the beneficiary designation on an insurance policy, a life insurance policy, may be different than on an IRA. Correct. So... Yeah, get with your estate planning attorney, get their instructions, and then in this process of gathering documents and organizing your document e-vault or whatever system you choose to employ, you can review all of those documents and make sure that not only the beneficiaries, but um, things like your agents in powers of attorney and in your will correct, are, are the current people that you want to have named in those policies. Yeah, guardians for children and so on. Well, Connie, I think that's a really good wrap-up for today. That really touches the high-level pieces of conversations that we're having with our families right now. Obviously, there are some other things that are more in-depth, depending on more complex estate structures, but we'll save those for another day. And there's always another day. So you can go to our website at www.cenaceracapital.com. That's S-I-N-E-C-E-R-A capital.com for a number of interesting blog posts on this topic as well as um, podcast episodes. Thank you for listening to the Uncorrelated Minds podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. For more information on the topics covered in this podcast, please visit the show notes page for links to further information 
at www.sinaceracapital.com. Sinacera Capital is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Sinacera and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and it should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or offer to sell a security. It does not take into account any investor's particular investment objectives, strategies, tax status, or investment horizon. You should consult your attorney or tax advisor. All information has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy is not guaranteed. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy, reliability, or completeness of, or liability for, decisions based on such information, and it should not be relied on as such. The views expressed in this commentary are subject to change based on market and other conditions. These documents may contain certain statements that may be deemed forward-looking statements. Please note that any such statements are not guarantees of any future performance, and actual results or developments may differ materially from those projected. Any projections, market outlooks, or estimates are based upon certain assumptions and should not be construed as indicative of actual events that will occur.